<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. You know, the Washington University Institute for Public Health is credited with launching the first program in the country that includes three research institutions and four hospitals to help end the cycle of violence. The program is called Life Outside of Violence. And joining me now, Kateri Chapman Kramer. She is the Life Outside of Violence Project Coordinator. Stephanie Harris, she is the Life Outside of Violence Case Manager at St. Louis University Hospital. And Jessica Myers, a coordinator with the St. Louis Area Violence Prevention Commission. Thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate it. Let's talk about Kateri Life Outside of Violence. What exactly is that program? Sure, so we launched um, one year ago, August. Mm -hmm. um, it's been years in the making through the partners that you mentioned, um, but really two other historical factors. Um, in 2012, the lead social worker at Children's Hospital actually um, initiated a victim of violence program there as well. So our model follows a lot of the work that was being done there. So essentially, um, seeing a lot of the same children come in with violent injury and knowing that we needed to do something beyond the treatment in the hospital to support them and their families. So that was in 2012. Um, and then in 2015, um, Risa Zwerling Wrighton, who is the wife of former chancellor at Washington yeah. University, mm -hmm. um, um, Mark Wrighton, she was mentoring a young girl who was shot and killed. So the university, knew that they had a responsibility to respond um, to this chronic problem in our community and so launched the gun violence initiative then. Um, and so really Life Outside of Violence was born from that initiative and bringing in um, multiple partners to really address this at a high level. Um, so what it looks like in practice is we um, receive a direct alert when someone between the ages of 8 to 24 comes into either Barnes Jewish Hospital, SSM Health, St. Louis University Hospital, St. Louis Children's Hospital, or SSM Health, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital with gunshot wound, stabbing, or other assault. And oh. so we, um, so there's five mentors or clinical case managers um, that work across sites. And so when we get notification that someone has come in that's eligible, the premise is really to meet with them, make contact with them as soon as possible after the injury. So the hospital-based model um, reflects the fact that someone has just survived violent injury, possibly near death, and so there's a teachable moment there. Um, and so the mentors meet in person, ideally, or make contact within 24 hours, and then they're um, working with the individual and their family for up to a year. So providing counseling, case management, um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of basic needs that need to be addressed first, um, including safety. So the patient receives the medical treatment, then they're returning home most of the time to the same home, same neighborhood where the incident occurred. So the mentors are licensed social workers or counselors, which was very intentional so that they could address 
possible mental health needs as soon as possible um, versus referring, as we know there's still a gap in access to mental health services yes. in our community. So that's kind of it in a, in nutshell, a nutshell, but there's a lot of other, <laughs> a lot of moving parts. A lot of other details <laughs> yeah. that are included. Right, mm -hmm. Stephanie, give me a sense of why that mental health aspect, that element is so critical to what you do. Um, it's important because when a person is injured, for example, if they're shot, um, it's not just their body that's impacted by the bullet or, you know, the stab wound or even, you know, if they're hit in the face by um, another child or an adult. Um, it's that it, they're also, um, their brain is impacted. And so it's important for us to kind of uh, come in and to um, help them to make sense of that, to help them to process what just happened to them and to provide that support to them because it's essential. Yeah, yeah. And then tell me, because I'm sure you guys have heard about in the news with the St. Louis Board of Aldermen, they're mm -hmm. talking about passing the cure violence and implementing that program. How is that different from what you're doing? Well, we try to look at um, we try to look at the whole person and meet them right where they are. And so, from the time they come to the hospital, um, they may not have access to another person, uh, you know, due for to their safety, um, as well as for the safety of the hospital staff. And so, um, not really trying to get them to enroll in our program initially, but uh, to just, you know, talk to them about, hey, are you eating? Are you sleeping? Um, how do you feel about what just happened? And to just really, um, you know, to just find out what they want, you know, if they're interested in this program, and then to just meet them where they are to help them to reach their goals. Yes. And if I could add mm -hmm. to that, um, so they are very complimentary. Mm -hmm. So I know other cure vi violence um, in other cities, they do work collaboratively collaboratively with existing existing hospital-based violence intervention programs. So if that is approved, um, there's certainly room to share in joint efforts to um, potentially have some of those more direct outreach positions, also coordinate with our more um, ongoing programs. Yeah, and that was gonna be my follow-up okay. question, whether you guys would actually work and collaborate with the St. Louis Board of Aldermen's program if that Cure Violence program actually is implemented in St. Louis. So it sounds like there is room for that. Absolutely, yeah. we are open and we do um, believe that the best approach is a coordinated effort, not just one particular model, but, um, and I'm sure Jessica can speak in terms of the Violence Prevention Commission, the efforts that have been made to bring everyone to the table to work together. Jessica, let's talk about that. Yeah, so the purpose of the Violence Prevention Commission, we don't do the direct services like Life Outside of Violence mm -hmm. offers. Our role is more to align and convene all of the agencies that are doing violence prevention or working towards violence prevention. And we take a really wide view of what violence prevention is. So it's not just having um, a specific program for violence prevention. We look at how does workforce development contribute to violence prevention? How does abatement of vacant properties contribute to violence prevention? How does healthcare contribute to violence prevention? How does mental health care contribute to violence prevention? And so we take that public health approach where we really look at those risk and protective factors and try to move upstream to prevent violence before you get to that one specific uh, conflict that might turn into violence. So what Life Outside of Violence does fits very well into that model and Cure Violence fits very well into the model. Again, as Kateri mentioned, there's no one thing that's going to solve violence in St. Louis. It's going to be more about making sure that all of the groups are working from a shared playbook, a shared plan 
a comprehensive plan for reducing violence. And I think that's awesome. And of course, we've seen a lot of violence in the city and in the surrounding areas of St. Louis just this summer, especially that mm -hmm. involving children. Mm -hmm. Yes. There is a public service announcement that is out, and I want to get your reaction and opinion on it. We're going to roll it right now and uh, take a listen. Okay, we're gonna move on. They're trying to get that video. Let me know when we have that. You guys. told me not to talk to strangers. You told me not to cross the street without looking both ways. You told me not to touch the stove. You told me not to do drugs. You told me not to drink and drive. You gave me so many messages about how to stay safe. Why didn't you keep me safe by properly storing your gun? PSA was produced by In Family Fire. End family fire. What do you think when you see that? Because it's so powerful. Yes. Well, I think we've seen just the toll that, that the community violence takes on children, whether they're the direct victim. We always want to focus on the fact that the one person who may be hit with the bullet, they're part of a family. And with kids, they're part of a school, they're part of a neighborhood, they're part of a community. So really looking at what is the community trauma surrounding victimization, not just the individual mental health needs of the person that was injured. And then when we talk about trying to prevent violence, what do we do? What are some things that we can do to empower the community? So some of the things that we're working on, we're working on policy and systems change around how law enforcement does community policing and how they view police legitimacy. So that's one of the things we're working on. The hope is that by addressing some of those issues, we can improve the relationship between the community and law enforcement and hopefully get some more assistance with investigations into violent crime. We also have a community engagement committee that is doing community canvassing capacity building for neighborhoods so that they can organize around public safety or whatever other projects they have. We also have the Youth Violence Prevention Partnership that has gotten a Safe and Thriving Communities grant and is investing in projects like mentorship and open gym to get kids into services to make sure they're in school, they have job readiness training. And so really focusing, as they said, with Life Outside of Violence of meeting people where they are. Kateri, give me a sense of how many people are participating in the Life Outside of Violence program. Sure, so since we've been in existence for a year, we have outreached to date about 560 eligible individuals. It's a lot. Yeah, that is a mm -hmm. lot. So how successful has the program been? Um, we think that we've been highly successful. So we have um, 90 people that have actually enrolled. So um, still just really working to bring awareness to the fact that we exist. If we miss someone in person, we will be calling. And so if they're familiar with hearing life outside of violence or love, that they call back because we are, want, we are there and want to serve. Um, within our first year, we have had no one return for um, repeat violent injury, which is one of our key goals. So reduce return visits, um, limit retaliation, um, criminal involvement, and ultimately death. So we have so far accomplished that within the first year. That's awesome. Stephanie, give me a sense of how rewarding is this for you to be a part of such a uh, project that's making such a big impact in the community? Um, it's very rewarding um, just to be out there in the community 
um, with people and to just connect them with services and really empower um, the patients that we work with um, to prov uh, get education, to provide gun locks, uh, to help reduce uh, further crime and to just um, you know, work with individuals to get employment, education, and so really empowering um, the clients that we work with to be um, better people and help them to reach their goals is, is very rewarding. Yeah, Jess, give me a sense of what's next in, in terms of keeping this conversation going, helping to bring together different organizations to end violence. So we have quarterly meetings at the Violence Prevention Commission where we bring our entire membership together. So we're a regional collaborative we cover St. Louis City and St. Louis County. We have more than 60 member agencies, but we have more than twice that um, that we can call on at any time to participate. So one of the things we do is to keep our membership updated, but we also have seven committees that do the work day to day, that meet monthly to really make sure that the work of the Violence Prevention Commission keeps going. And so each of those committees has part of our action plan. We have an action plan with three main objectives, looking at police community relations, looking at trauma-informed care, and looking at uh, coordinating the response to non-fatal shootings, which is, love is a great part of that. So really making sure that we keep going on our action plan, but also continue to engage with the new initiatives that are coming up. There's a lot of conversation around violence and violence prevention. So really making sure that we stay engaged with the Board of Aldermen, the County Council, new groups that are coming up that want to work in violence prevention. That's awesome that everyone's working together because it's gonna take the entire community mm -hmm. to solve this problem. Absolutely. So thank you all so much for being here, I appreciate it. Straight ahead on The Pulse, this. If I can describe breast cancer in one word, it will be fearful because it changes your whole life. Coming up, the organization that offers a lifeline to breast cancer patients and ease their fears. Stay with us, we are back in a moment. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. You know, a nonprofit organization called Gateway to Hope is doing a remarkable job helping patients diagnosed with breast cancer face the disease and focus on healing. Joining me now, Karen George, she is a Gateway to Hope recipient. Karen Morrison, she is a Gateway to Hope board member and community engagement manager at Barnes Jewish Hospital. Carrie Kohler, Gateway to Hope program director and Katie Manga, she is Gateway to Hope executive director. Thank you all so much for being here, I appreciate it. Karen, let's start with you. Tell me your story because I feel so inspired by what I've seen and what I've heard about you and your story. Tell me about when you were diagnosed with breast cancer and what was your reaction when you found out? I was diagnosed uh, February of 2018, uh, right after my sister had passed away from it. At the time I was at work when they called and told me, it was a mind blowing uh, thing. Uh, I remember uh, putting the phone down crying and I hollered out, Lord, I want to live. I don't want to die. I, uh, it was a frightful thing because I had to think about my children. So uh, when I got back on the phone, I asked uh, the young lady, uh, what, was, what was I supposed to do? And she told me to think it over the weekend, uh, just meditate on what I just heard. And uh, when I got off from work, uh, my doctor called. That's when I knew it was real. So I was afraid. I didn't know what to expect, what to do. Uh, in, in the back of my mind, I just lost my sister from it. So it was frightening. 
it was a life changing for me because I didn't know what I was going to expect after the surgery. Um, it, it was a frightful thing. Yeah. How did you find out about Gateway to Hope? A young lady, Cheryl Jackson, uh, uh, with Breakfast Club, she gave me Gateway to Hope number, and I contacted them a week after I found out. And from there, I connected with them. Christine was the young lady that I talked with, and I called her, and I was telling her what I was going through, what I just found out. She told me, don't worry, Karen, you'll be okay. And I was like, wow, this lady telling me that I'm going to be okay. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I was just told I had breast cancer. But I had to think about my children, my family. So when I called, uh, she told me what I needed to do as far as paperwork, what I had uh, each step, and I, I did that. And uh, from that day forward, she was with me from the beginning to the end till she retired. And then here she, she stepped up. And wow. when I say gateway to hope was really there because I was worried how I'm going to take off from work, having a surgery, my finances, I didn't want to lose my house. When I say Gateway to Hope supported me, they supported me. Wow, Katie, you've got to be feeling very proud to hear this testimony because that's powerful, what she just said. Tell me about the mission of Gateway to Hope and how the organization got started. Yeah, so it is very powerful to hear, to hear stories like this and it's a privilege to be able to, to walk with women like Karen on their journey every day. So, so Gateway to Hope was started about 15 years ago by a couple of physicians in the St. Louis community. And at the time, they were providing donated care to women who couldn't afford treatment. So um, they really started the organization because they saw countless women coming into their, um, into their facilities who had delayed care because of inability to pay. So with the Affordable Care Act, our organization has changed a little bit, and what we provide now is financial assistance as well as supportive services for the duration of treatment. So from the moment you're diagnosed until you're finished with your treatment, whatever that looks like, and for everybody that's different, we'll help you pay for your bills, and we'll also make sure that you have somebody who's there to walk that journey with you every step of the way. Help pay for bills? Yes. Tell me about the yeah. bills that you help them with. Because, and I say that because that's so important. Yeah. You don't have to worry about any financial responsibilities. You can focus on your health and focus on getting better. That's absolutely right. Yeah. We see so many, so many situations where women are really forced to have to make a decision between do I pay for this life-saving health care or do I pay to keep my lights on? Do I pay to keep my insurance? Uh, so those are the types of bills that we'll pay for. Utilities, um, rent and mortgage, transportation costs, especially to and from treatment, um, and then insurance premiums as well. So if you have private insurance, then we'll, we'll reimburse those premiums for the duration of treatment. That is awesome. Carrie, that emotional support is yeah. significant as well. Yeah. Tell me about that. Definitely. I think it often is what resonates with patients like Karen. Um, so I work with an amazing team. Um, right now we have a team of social workers who are trained to provide um, that support, emotional education, guidance. We all know the healthcare system can be quite complex. Add health insurance issues. I mean, I think we can all um, have stories of our own experiences with that. But when you have a diagnosis like cancer, it can be even more complicated especially when you have um, loss of job or reduced hours and that sort of thing. But providing that space, that comfortable space to just voice your concerns, your fears, your worries, 
I think that's really what connects with these individuals and what really makes a difference. So providing that sort of navigation piece with the financial piece really helps them, like you said, focus on treatment, focus on getting better. And knowing there's someone with you. Yes. Every step of the way. Definitely. Yeah. That's impressive to me yeah. because I thought it was like one and done. No, so no, it's no. like, no, this is a this is a full journey, Karen. Yes, it yeah. is a full journey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really proud to be a board member for this incredible organization and the work that Katie and her team are doing. And Barnes Jewish Hospital is very proud to support organizations like Gateway to Hope that support our mission of creating better access for the patients in the communities that we serve. Uh, to one of the points that Katie made, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. And in the state of Missouri, 4,000 women every year will require financial support while they are in treatment for breast cancer. So the work that Gateway to Hope is doing is critical and key to their success, to their outcomes, to their wellness in fighting the disease. Karen, were you surprised by the support you received from Gateway to Hope? I was. Yeah? I was. I'm more of a private person. I don't let a lot of people in. And when they said that they would be there from the beginning to the end, I was surprised. Yeah. And they kept their word. That's one thing they kept their word. It wasn't nothing phony or fake about it. You know, you go through some organizations, they say they'll help you. They help you that one time and that's it. But in your mind as a cancer patient, you want someone to be there to the end because you have questions you have that don't have answers. So Gateway to Hope was there. They really, when I say they were there, they were there. Even at night, when you know, you have the support during the day, but at the night when you, you I can't sleep and you need answers, they will call. So yeah, I, I had the support. What I, else I, did they do for you, young lady? <laughs> 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 this is incredible. <laughs> I was surprised. Uh, when I say, like she said, the support, the su all I can say is they were there. They were like a family. Yeah. We're like a family, and I thank you, each one of you, for being there for me, because uh, yeah. I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. So how are you doing now? I'm doing a lot better. I just had my last surgery in March, so I'm doing good, just the healing process. I'm enjoying life. Congratulations, yes. and I'm so glad thank to hear that and glad to see you. Yes. Katie, tell me who is eligible to participate in this program? Sure. So we have some financial eligibility requirements. Of course, first, you have to have received a diagnosis. Um, and so we do, we do ask for verification of that. And then if you make four and a half times the poverty rate, which for a single individual is $56,000 a year or below, you're eligible for services from Gateway to Hope. So we do go all the way up to that $56,000 a year. And so how many people are currently participating in your program? Sure. So this year we will serve about 400 women. Most of them are coming from the St. Louis region, mm -hmm. but we do serve across the entire state of Missouri, as well as across the river into, into Southern Illinois. That is so awesome. <laughs> Looking at <laughs> Carrie, she's like, oh yeah. <laughs> Carrie, you knew I was coming to you, right? I was coming. Whoa, so can't no, wait. So, so I, I'm just curious though, how rewarding is it for you yeah. to know that you're making such a big difference in the lives of people? Yeah, Shirley. I mean, I've been there for over four years now. When I, I actually had a change of career, I wanted to go into social work because um, access to healthcare was a passion of mine and helping individuals navigate com complex issues like chronic illness. That's what I wanted to do. And so Gateway to Hope was sort of a, a perfect place for me to kind of live out my passion and help the people I wanted to help. And in particular in the St. Louis area, you know, with the health disparities that we see, there's a lot of work to be done. And so I, I feel 
so grateful to work at Gateway to Hope, to work with the amazing women um, every day, but also the amazing colleagues that I have, the board members. It's a very inspiring environment to be in. Awesome. Karen, yeah. I want to touch a little bit about whether we are bridging that gap when yes. we come back. Got to take a break. Sure. Stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Plus, we're going to tell you about an event you don't want to miss. Stay with us. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Falls of St. Louis. You know, we need to tell you about a very important event that's coming up. And Katie, why don't you tell us about the gala that's coming up? I got information on the screen right now. Sure. So October 12th at 630 at the Ritz-Carlton, we have our annual fundraiser. It's a great night to come out and celebrate stories like Karen's. Karen will be with us that evening, yes. as well as many of the other women we serve. And we really just use that night to tell the story and raise the critical funds that we need to, to advance our mission and serve the women that we're serving every day. And you have an incredible story and you're doing such a great job in the community. Thank you. Karen, before we go, yes. are we bridging that gap? Are we making sure that people in the community are getting the help they need? We are, and it's organizations like Gateway to Hope that are helping with that through their community outreach efforts around education, awareness, the importance of scheduling your, your annual mammogram. Um, we are also very blessed in St. Louis to have many of our local hospital systems that have mobile mammography van programs. So getting those vans out into the community and helping those women get screened is exactly what's helping. Perfect. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for The Pulse of St. Louis. I'll see you next time. Did we hit it up? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.